In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, church. I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the three priests at the table, and uh, excited to be able to proclaim good news to you guys this morning. Welcome to the third Sunday of Epiphany. We're going to continue on in our series, Beholding and Becoming, where we're teaching on how we as the church behold the beauty and the light of Christ, and in beholding that beauty and light, Christ is forming us into his body, into people of his kingdom. We proclaim the good news that now is the time God's kingdom has come to you today. You don't have to fake it or figure it out, but instead you are free to follow Jesus. God has revealed himself in Christ, and as you behold his beauty, you are becoming his kingdom people, people for which the God type of life comes as naturally as breathing. Today, I'm going to preach about how parks and recreation can help us to interpret Paul. <laughs> Guys, the Bible is super confusing sometimes. And honestly, sometimes I find that the lectionary passages that are selected for Sundays don't, don't help us figure it out any better. So today in our New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians, there's three verses. That's the whole passage. And in that three-verse passage, Paul is telling the church at Corinth that Christ's return is coming so soon that people who have wives should act as if they don't have wives. People who are sad should be like people who aren't crying. People who are happy should be like people who aren't happy. People who buy things should live like those who don't have any possessions. And people who use the world should be like people who aren't preoccupied with it. I'm sorry, but what? I don't really understand. I mean, what does it mean for someone who's married to live like they aren't? Uh, I'm pretty sure this isn't like a hall pass type situation that Paul is talking about, but that doesn't help to clarify any further for us. What does it mean for someone who's happy to live like they are not happy? And what good would do that do? Paul is seemingly telling people that Christ's return is so right around the corner that they should drop their normal way of life. This reminds me of a Parks and Rec episode where there's a group called the Reasonableists. They are later in the episode jokingly refer referred to as Zorpies. The Reasonableists rent out a park for an all-night vigil to celebrate the end of the world. Now, they do this every few months after a fresh round of calculations yield another determination of when Zorp will return to destroy the Earth. Now, the, uh, the workers of the Parks and Rec Department are really used to these requests, and so they don't take them super seriously. Uh, Executive Director Leslie Nope feigns interest as she gets the permitting paperwork together for them to rent out the park. No big deal. Director of the Parks Department, Ron Swanson, he notes that the all-night vigil actually requires flutes as part of the event, and so he brings a load of handcrafted instruments to sell at an outrageous price on site for the vigil. It's $100 for a wood, wooden flute and $80 if you want a recorder. I'm not saying that this is prophetic right now, but if any of you guys is tempted this week to buy a recorder for $80, please call one of the priests. The Zorpies don't mind. They don't mind overpaying for the instruments. In fact, they can barely contain themselves whenever they look at each other and they say, do you mind taking a check? And they wink at each other and giggle because they don't mind overpaying. They don't mind writing checks because there is no tomorrow. 
inherently the message is that Zorp is coming so soon that they can live like there's no tomorrow. Is Paul saying the same thing, only subbing in Jesus for Zorp? Christ's return is so soon that you should ignore your spouse, your joy, your sorrow, your possessions, your worldly responsibilities? Well, if that is what Paul's saying, I don't mind telling you that he got it wrong, friends. If Jesus were to come back tomorrow, then Paul would have been off by about 2,000 or so years. So for anyone insisting that this is, in fact, what the passage means, that Christ is coming back so soon that we should live like there's no tomorrow, there's about 20 to 25 generations of people that would like a word with you. So let's just assume maybe Paul got the timing a bit off. Let's put the timing issue off to the side for a moment if we can. It still seems like Paul is saying something about what the appropriate way is to live in anticipation of Christ's return. Paul is positing here, seemingly, that the appropriate way to expect Christ's return is to pretend that you aren't married. Again, I'm really not sure what Paul has in mind here. Pretend that you're not happy or sad. Pretend that you have no material needs and shirk all worldly responsibilities. In other words, write as many checks for handcrafted wooden flutes as you'd like, because none of this matters anyways. In a vacuum, these three scriptures make Jesus' return sound a whole lot like Zorp's return. But crucially, friends, Scripture does not come to us in a vacuum. And it may sound borderline disrespectful to probe and poke a passage like this. It's not my intention to be disrespectful. It wouldn't be the first time that my probing and poking would come off as negativity. She's probably not listening, but sorry, Mom. We believe that to take Scripture seriously, we need to review it in the full context of God's larger story, and especially within the wider context of the passage itself. Friends, now is the time. God's kingdom has come to you today. You don't have to fake it or figure it out. Instead, you are free just to follow Jesus. God has revealed himself in Christ, and as you behold his beauty, you are becoming kingdom people, people for which the God type of life comes as naturally as breathing. So in 1 Corinthians, in our passage for today, it's part of a wide-ranging set of instructions. That set of instructions actually included last week's passage that Father Matt taught on as well. Neither passage functions at the basic level of instructions about just specific relationships, institutions, or activities. Both are rising to make general points about the appropriate attitude or stance for faithful living in the world. In other words, wives mourning, rejoicing, possessions are not the basic point of this passage. The purpose is to put forward a general attitude, a manner of being in the world as though not. This means that our fundamental vocations, who we are, is defined by God's claim on us rather than the claims of our families, our jobs, our possessions, our moods. God's radical claim over our lives, rad- relevant relativizes, sorry, God's radical claim for us, for our lives, relativizes all other claims, and it puts them in their proper place. These other claims continue on, so you still have these claims on your life, your family, your job, your moods. They are real things. They are a real part of you. These other claims continue on, but they must be adjusted and then fitted within the ultimate claim that God makes upon your life. Another way to say this is that we are now invited to carry on our obligation and our responsibilities to our families, to our jobs, but now in a manner that is consistent with God's claim on us as his people. 
At the table, we try to discern all scriptures, especially the confusing or difficult ones in light of Jesus. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we believe that Jesus is a sort of lexicon, a lexical key for interpreting scripture. Uh, As a friend of the table, Brian Zahn says, "The the question isn't, can we find it in the Bible? Because so many people have made the Bible out to say or back up their points on things. But the question is, can we find it in Jesus? And Jesus says to every would-be disciple, follow me. We receive a picture of this playing out in the gospel reading from today. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Now, the gospel that Jesus is proclaiming here didn't have four points. And oddly enough, Jesus isn't mentioning anything about penal substitutionary atonement. Sorry to be glib again a little bit. Jesus is proclaiming the gospel that now is the time. Here comes the kingdom of God. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. This is the crux of what it means to repent. Change your hearts and your lives. The proper response to the coming of God's kingdom is to repent, to trust and believe. Jesus' first disciples model what this repentance looks like. Their response was immediate and it was complete. Right away, they did just as Jesus said. They dropped their nets and they followed him. Their following him didn't require intelligence, wealth, social status, expertise, familial status. All it required of them was trust. They stepped away from what they knew. They stepped away from what they were good at. What put money in their pockets and food on the table? And they stepped away from it. As we see in the Gospels, they weren't perfect from there. But this dropping of the nets and following Jesus was the first step into allowing God to reshape and reorder their lives into kingdom lives. Church, now is the time. Today is the day. God's kingdom has come to you. You don't have to fake it or figure it out, but you are free to follow Jesus. And God has revealed himself in Christ. As you behold the beauty of Christ, you are being formed into kingdom people, people for which the God type of life comes as naturally as breathing. How are we to live in light of this truth today? In a week where one president's term ended and another was inaugurated, What does kingdom living look like? What does it mean to be kingdom people? God's kingdom is here, friends, not because of, but in spite of who the president of the United States is. The kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed was not bolstered by the construction of monumental buildings and great cities. God's kingdom is manifest in the human embrace of God's rule through repentance and faith. Jesus's mission was to call people to repentance, that is, a total reorientation of their lives so that they will be in a position then to accept God's sovereign rule authentically. Accepting God's rule authentically means just submitting, it, submitting to God's rule, to Christ's rule and reign in real time as we truly are, as your true and full selves. You don't have to compartmentalize your struggles and your doubts the things that you're bad at and good at and put them in different categories. You don't have to work it out so that you're perfect so that you can enter into it. But through following Jesus, he is forming you into a people that can bear the authority and the beauty of the kingdom of God. Now is the time, friends. The kingdom has come to you today. It's not up to you to fake it or figure it out, but instead you are free to follow Jesus. 
He's revealed, God has revealed himself in Christ. And as we behold his beauty, we are becoming kingdom people. In some ways, I think becoming kingdom people is a lot like starting a new job. I was just uh, chatting with Larry Larson earlier this week and celebrating with him the new job that he just started this past week, which is super exciting. Uh, and I was, as I was chatting with him, I just was reflecting on every time I've ever started a new job, it feels so daunting. You know, the first week you have trainings and you're meeting new people. You don't know anything about them. You don't know uh, what forms or contracts you have to fill out. You don't know where you turn them in. Uh, you don't understand the workflow, who you communicate with or who you report to. I remember especially feeling this as I started out as a realtor almost six years ago. Uh, I was just fine at doing showings, meeting people and showing them houses. But then when it came time to, to write my first offer, which was actually on a Sunday afternoon after church, I, it was like a mad scramble for me to try to get one of my colleagues on the phone because a purchase agreement is like an eight page document that has so many blanks and it's a legal contract. And I was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But six years later, after practicing it and working through it, I've been able to set up templates and I'm so familiar with the forms that it takes me like 10 or 15 minutes to write up an offer. And I think that this is a picture of how we are being formed into the God type of life. Only it doesn't just encompass paperwork or one aspect of our life. It encompasses every part of who we are, not just our actions or our words, but our desires. God is reordering and reforming our hearts as we submit to him, as we behold the beauty of God in Christ and follow him, he is shaping us into his people. In our DNA groups, we learn that God is transforming not only our words and our works, but crucially, he's redeeming our wants as well. And I'm thankful for that. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to figure out how to correct our behavior so that we can fit in, but we can live out of our acceptance in the kingdom of God. We can trust and follow. We saw this in Jonah today as well. It was a very short passage, but Jonah, after all of his shenanigans, finally goes to Nineveh and he barely, like he kind of like halfway does the job. I mean, he does the bare minimum. He just is like, hey, you got 40 days. And then the scripture goes on to say that the Ninevites trusted God and God saw their trust. And that is, that is what God is calling us to do, to trust him to trust him with our lives, with every aspect of our lives. We don't have to figure it out or fake it, but through trusting him, through submitting our views of the world to him, he is reshaping us. He is reshaping the way that we see and interact in the world. A lot of us fall prey to the idea that we have to be right, that we have to be the best, that we have to be smart, or very perniciously, it's very common in the church, that we have to be bold to inherit the kingdom of God. But in fact, to earn our way into the kingdom. That, those are the lies about how we earn our way into the kingdom. But in reality, God is calling us to behold the beauty of Christ so that he can help us to become people of his kingdom. Spoiler alert, at the end of the Parks and Recreation episode, the world does not end. The following Monday, the leader of that group ends up back in Leslie Nope's office with a fresh calculation of when the world will end. And he's there in hopes of securing another permit for an all-night vigil in the park. As they look at the calendar, Leslie realizes that there's actually a conflict. Uh, on July 19th, they have an ice cream social already booked at the park. So the Zorpies can't rent out the park that day. As he's saying that, the leader of the, the Reasonableist group says, uh, 
actually, would you look at that? I think I miscalculated it. It's actually supposed to end on July 20th. And Leslie kind of picking up what he's laying down. It's like the 20th works actually. I've got you down for the world ending on July 20th. Church, instead of having to guess when Christ will return, instead of trying to figure out a way, like manufacturing a way to act as if it's real or that it's really going to happen and trying to rearrange Christ coming around ice cream socials and what's important, you are free to embrace and to live into the reality of God's kingdom coming to you today with boots on the ground, hands in the dirt, real world consequences. And you don't have to discern that on your own. You can trust and believe in community and follow God revealed in Christ. We can respond to this good news together by coming and receiving the body and blood of Christ together. We have a prayer that we're going to pray just in a moment as well. But I just want to invite you to reflect with me on the ways that we feel disconnected from the reality of the rule and reign in Christ today. The areas of our life where it's hard to believe that Christ is on the throne, where it's hard to see the kingdom of God revealed. We're free to submit those those questions, those doubts, those fears, we can lay them down today at the feet of Jesus and follow him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.